Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is Crisis Survival 101. Anybody need this today? <laughs> Joshua 10, 1-8, Crisis Survival 101. Now picture this. Picture your team has just won the World Series, or your team has just won the Super Bowl. And they always say, hey, what are you going to do next? And they say, I'm going to Disney World, you know, that old, that old commercial. Now, Disney World, you, know, you get to take the break, enjoy it. The whole idea is you just won something big, and now life's going to be good, right? Or if you're lucky enough to be a, a New York team, you get to go on a ticker tape parade, right? <laughs> and also... Um, I, if you're from Philly, I guess you get it. They give you cheesesteaks or, you know, pretzels or something. I don't know what they do. But New York, you get a ticker tape parade. I'm stepping off uh, theological differences here, I know. But, um, but as we're going to see today, the spiritual life is not like that. It's an ongoing battle till you get to heaven. It's not like, oh, I've won this spiritual battle and I've reached this level and now I can go to spiritual Disney World. You know, it, it, it's not like that. It's an ongoing battle until we get to the ultimate Disney World, heaven, right? That's where we're really heading, heading, heading toward. And as I was doing this study here in Joshua chapter 10, it reminded me of, of a movie, Saving Private Ryan. In fact, it reminded me so much I got it out and watched it again with Mikey and we watched it and... And the reason is because the, if, you're, if you've seen the movie, the captain, Tom Hanks plays the captain, and he's this really able soldier, and he'll, he'll carry out an assignment and do really well, lose half of his guys, but he win, gets the objective, and he like, comes back, staggers back, and he says, i got another one for you, and they hand him another impossible thing to do. And, and that's, that's really the Christian life. We win that battle. Yeah, God lets us catch our breath. Oh, you catch your breath. Okay, here you go, you know, rocky, rocky, right? You know, back in, poof, you know? And so that's, that's really what the... the Christian life is like God will hand as we reach one plateau one level God hands us another tougher assignment and this goes on until we get to heaven right that that, until we get there that's what it keeps on going now he does give us times of recharging and recuperating it's not all like you know you know battering but but he's pushing us to another level continually pushing us to another spiritual level and that's what we're going to see today from for the Christian life, from salvation to sanctification uh, to glorification, it's, it, we go for, it's, it's a spiritual battle that we're, we're in. We go from, right from salvation, we go from being prisoners of war, POWs, POWs that have been freed by Jesus Christ. The moment we put our faith in Jesus, we say, God, I believe Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin. He rose from the dead to prove he was your son and to prove he broke the power of sin in my life. I put my faith in him. I give my life to him. The moment you do that, you become a Christian. The Holy Spirit comes in and we are freed by Jesus Christ. We're no longer prisoners of war, but as soon as we're freed, we're free to fight. We're free to become soldiers. We're instantly soldiers in a, a very difficult battle for survival, spiritual survival. And that's why we call this crisis survival 101. All right? Now, re- quick review. We, if you weren't here, get the CDs, podcasts, catch up. But they defeated AI. Going great. The Gibeonites then surrender. All right? And that's a picture of our salvation. Remember we talked about that last time. Gibeonites surrendering, picture of our salvation. But let's see what happens next. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship. We thank you for all the different people that have ministered and served so that we could be here worshiping today. Lord, we just pray that your spirit would speak. There's so many spiritual truths here that we're going to look at today. We pray that you would take them and apply them to each one of us exactly the way that we need. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's read the passage here, Joshua 10, 1 to 8. Now, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroying it, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and were living near them. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city like one of the royal cities, it was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Horam, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the Kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites sent word to Joshua and the camp at Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them, for I have given them into your hands. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. So, remember, this is all our story. Physical battle, spiritual battle, Joshua Hebrew, Jesus Greek, same exact word. Just as they follow Joshua, we follow Jesus. It's all about our spiritual battle. And the, a really thing, the lesson that really jumps out on this right away is expect opposition and attacks. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, expect opposition and attacks. The moment you help someone else put their faith in Jesus Christ, Expect opposition and attacks. If, we, if, we, if we're witnessing the people and seeing them come to Christ, they're going to be attacked and we're going to be attacked. Just expect it. It's, it starts at conversion. We'll start with conversion. Right after the Gibeonites surrender, they surrender their lives to Joshua. And, they, and he remember last week it said he saved them? He saved them? As soon as they did that, they were attacked. Here they go. The very, very next thing. Now, right now, right after. It's connecting. Right away, they're attacked. When we give our lives to Joshua, our Joshua, Jesus Christ, he sets us free from being prisoners of war. We talked about that. But at that very moment, and a lot of you remember what I'm talking about. You've been Christians. You remember, remember when you first became a Christian? There's a little bit of a honeymoon, but then, whoof, God allows the attacks and the battles because who attacks us the flesh attacks the devil attacks and the world attacks they all attack even your former former friends attack you know what i'm talking about if you become a christian you know what i'm talking about first peter 4 3 to 5 tells us what to expect in verse 3 it says for you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do. 
living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry, they think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. As soon as you don't live that way anymore, the flesh, Satan, and the world go on the offensive. We get attacked. It's, it's like, use the war analogy in the POWs. If you've ever read the books about prisoners of war or watched some of the, the true movies about that, you'll see that when a, a prisoner is in this prisoner of war camp and he says, I'm going to get free, I'm going to break free, I'm going to try to escape, what did the other prisoners do? Oh, we'll help you. Here, let's dig your tunnel. No, no, they fight. In fact, some of the stories, you've watched some of these movies and stories, they actually tie the person up and won't let them go because they don't want the person to escape. Because if they escape, their miserable life is going to become even more miserable. Their wretched lives become even more miserable because they're going to get, you know, you know suffer the consequences of an escape in that prison. And so they, they do all they can to keep that person from escaping. And that's what we face spiritually. They don't want us to escape. They want us to stay where they are. They want us to stay miserable with them. That's, that's the way it is. That's why these attacks start at conversion. Now back to Joshua 10, we'll see that not only were the Gibeonites attacked, but who also got pulled into the fight? The Israelites. The Israelites who, did this, who rescued them and helped them find freedom and, and spared them. And, and it was the same thing. We have to expect the same. When we help other people come to Jesus Christ and find their freedom, we're going to be attacked. So it's not just the conversion, but it's the converts that set this off too. The devil says, and it's, you study history, you'll see it. The devil says, stay in your churches. Stay in your church. Keep it to yourself. If you do that, there's really not much problem. I remember even back when the USSR was in play. And, and they didn't bother the, the church, the house churches at the time, that stayed in their little huddles and didn't come out. But the moment you cross the line, and come out of that house church or come out, come out into public. As soon as you cross the line and start to share the truth of Jesus Christ, that's when the opposition hits. That's when we get hit hard. That's when they got the persecution in the USSR and soon to be the USA, right? We, we see it coming. Acts, six, Acts 16, the book of Acts. Acts 16, Acts 19. Look at it. Whenever the apostles start to really preach powerfully and see converts, as soon as there were converts, wham! They got hit hard. It, it, it just expect it. And it, trouble always starts when people are getting saved. And we're helping people get saved. Expect it. In fact, in 1 Corinthians uh, 16, 8-9, it says this, by Paul talking, and this is a great verse, but I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost. Here we go. Because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. Wherever the door opens, the opposition increases. It, it never fails. We see it at New Hope Community Church all, all the time. Uh, anytime there's fruit, there's an attack sure to follow. And, and there's been so many times. Uh, when we started the church, we started seeing all this fruit. Boy, did we get hit hard, right? I, I'll, I remember a really good example of this. Is I talked to Linnell about this yesterday because I wanted to share everything I'm going to say. He has shared many times in our church, a powerful testimony. And he has a book. In the back, you want to get his book? 
Uh, a very, very moving book about his, his spiritual journey. But I remember meeting Linnell at the AIDS house the first time here in New Hope. And, uh, and we were talking and we got together for lunch and, we, and he had this intense spiritual interest and, and, and very quickly accepted Christ. And his life was changed forever and my life was changed forever. And the whole church has been impacted by Linnell's life and story. And I remember at this very time, I was getting a lot of threats from one, one half, one, this, this radical group in New Hope. Um, I don't want to call it the homosexuals because many um, homosexuals in New Hope are my friends. I have a lot of friends and they're like, we'll leave you alone. We, you know, we know you care about us. We know you love us. And, and we're friends and it's no problem. But there's a segment there that, that is very different. I call them the radicalized ones. And they don't have a, a tolerant attitude. They don't want churches. They don't want us to speak the truth in love. And, and, they, and, they, and they were very adamant with me. They said, we, we heard what you're preaching. This hate against homosexuals. I go, I'm not here because I hate homosexuals. I hate sin. And I hate the damage that's being done to homosexuals because you're being lied to. I'm here to I'm speaking the truth in love. I'm here because I want to see people freed and to be able to live the life they were created to live and achieve their purpose. And, and, and the, a large segment of the population here in New Hope, the homosexual population, respects that. But there's a radical group that doesn't. And they kept calling me and <laughs> calling me names and, and saying, we're going to shut you up. You're not allowed to say that what's in the Bible. We're going to shut you up. In fact, we're going to get a, a hate crimes law passed that will make it against the law for you to ever say that it's wrong, homosexuality is wrong or someone could leave that life. I mean, think about that, right? And, and um, I said, I'm going to keep saying it. And sure enough, they did. They passed, they passed that law. And this was 15, 16 years ago. They passed. They were one of the first. You understand where we live. One of the first towns in America to have this, this law that now has been passed all over the country. And I warned all these pastors. I said, guys, you don't know what's coming. This is what's coming. They just told me. They told me the whole thing. They said, we're going to get it passed in every city in America, and it's going to be against the law, and, and they're going to shut you guys up. And I warned all my pastor friends, like, ah, oh, you're overreacting, Chuck. Just relax. You know, pff, that's not true. Nobody would listen. And now it's the law of the land, right? And they're going to tighten, tighten it, tighten it up, unless there's a revival and a kickback spiritually, where people are allowed to be truly tolerant and truly speak freely, you know, America. Uh, so, the, uh, so, but this is happening. I'll never forget it was passed the same time we were having a baptism. And I'll never forget it. I just found out about this thing being passed, this hate, hate thing. And, and they just passed this ordinance, whatever it was called at the time. They didn't have a lot of teeth at the time. And, and it was the same time. And it, we, I literally went from hearing about it to the baptism. And we had the baptism down at the river where we did it this time. And, Linnell, and I'll never forget, Linnell was being baptized. He was baptized, and I remember I was watching this, and he's getting done, and everybody's hugging him and talking, and, and this is just a beautiful, beautiful baptism. And I just remember it hit me, like, it just really hit me that no law can stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. No law. And here he is all these years later, but you know, that's what happened. As soon as we started seeing fruit, bam. And they were told me they were doing it for our church. We have a place of honor. We have a place of honor. A lot of these things, a lot of things happening around here are because of our church. They told me. They said what they're going to do and they did it. 
And it's happening all over the country. It's a spiritual battle. We've got to keep speaking the truth in love. If we love people, whoever they are, whatever their struggle is, we've got to keep speaking the truth in love. It's got to be love. If it's not in love, don't say it. It's got to be speaking the truth in love. Whenever we, whenever we come to faith, whenever we share our faith, whenever we renew our faith, expect attacks. Expect it. Expect it. This is a spiritual truth. And once again, it reminds me, when I was doing this, it really reminded me of, there's a movie called The Great Raid. I think there was a book. I read the book first, but then the movie The Great Raid. One of the great stories, right? True. Uh, in the Philippines, World War II, prisoners, and they were all going to be butchered and killed you know, by these fanatics. And, and so they sent a raid into the Philippines, and they rescued these 500 prisoners, Wow, it's a, what a great story. True story, great story. They rescue him. It was the biggest rescue ever you know, in the U.S. You know, military history. It was exciting. They were free, but the fight was just starting. You think, oh, they're free. Great, the movie ends. No, it was just starting. First of all, when they went in to rescue them, the prisoners were so damaged by their bondage that they were afraid of the rescuers. Hmm. They were scared of the rescuing soldiers. And they had to convince them. A lot of times they had to pick them up and carry them, kicking and screaming out. And, and they, they didn't want to be freed because they were in bondage for so long. They were emotionally damaged. And, and isn't that exactly what happens when we try to bring Christ to someone or someone to Christ? Many, many times they fight at first. And not only that, they were starving. These people were starving they had diseases, they were just emaciated, and then they had to try to give them a little, just a little food. Too much would have killed them. Just a little food, just so they had the energy to at least like, they could get them out of there. And the, the medics were working all these guys that were just really close to death. And, and isn't that just like what happens when we bring some to Christ? We were all were there one day, right? Spiritually, it's the same thing. And then... The whole, then they're free, but the whole time now, they're behind enemy lines trying to get these guys out. The whole time they're under fire and ambush and all this stuff going on. A lot of the rescuers, you know, some of them got wounded and, and they had to try to get them out quick because the, the, the enemy kept trying to kill them. They didn't want them to get free. They were planning on butchering them and they didn't want them to get free. Even if they, they finally they got them behind enemy, back to our friendly lines, they got them safe, safe. And, and, and they gave them food and medicine, and, and then they put them on a sub to get them back, a, a, a ship or a ship, put them on a ship to get them back. But wouldn't you know it, our, the enemy, because they were so infuriated that these guys were free, and they knew that it was going to encourage the United States, they made it their whole mission to sink that ship. They had all these subs out just trying to, and they kept you know, warning them, you know, sending out propaganda. We're gonna, we know where you are. We're going to sink you. And they did a lot of times. And, and they're they trying so hard the whole time. Trying to take them out. They weren't really safe until they got back to the U.S. It was crazy. But isn't that exactly what happens to us? It's the same thing. When the devil loses us or loses someone, he still tries to take us out over and over and over. Because he can't stop us from getting to heaven but he can sure you know negate us and negate our effect right and that's what he was that's what these guys were trying to do it's a it's a 
perfect picture of what we go through. And, and, and how do we survive this? How do we even thrive in this? And I, and I have some keys here from Joshua 10. I got three Ps again. I had to work a little at this, but I got three Ps. Three Ps of crisis survival. Three keys. Whether you're a brand new Christian or whether you're helping other people become a Christian or whether you've, been, whether you've just recommitted your life. You know, we talked about how when we recommit, remember Mount Ebal, we commit ourselves and recommit ourselves and how we get attacked. Whatever, the three keys. The first one is back in, once again, Joshua 10, verse 6. In Joshua 10, verse 6, look what they did. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us. Because the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. What P is this? Prayer. Prayer. They called on Joshua. And they said, save us, just as we do. We call on them for salvation. The first, when we first put our faith in Christ, that's being saved, salvation. And then we do it all the way through, sanctification. We, we call on them, just as we, they call on Joshua, we call on our Joshua, we call on Jesus. And it's really pretty simple. These P's are really pretty simple. All three P's are. But, but we often don't do them, do we? <laughs> How do I know that? Because I get your phone calls. I remember when I was a kid and I used to be, and I, I like your phone calls, don't get me wrong, except on my day off for vacation. But anyway, I like your calls. And, and I remember when I was a kid, the, the saying was, the doctor's saying was, take two aspirin and call me in the morning, right? Remember that? That was like, that's, that solved everything. Wonder, aspirin, the miracle drug, you know? Take two aspirin, call me in the morning. And, and I basically do the same thing. You probably notice this. I say, say two prayers and call me in the morning. Now, if it's a real emergency, you know, it's different. But, but most of the time, most of the time, I'm just trying to refocus you. Not on me. I can't help you. I'm trying to refocus you on Jesus. And I say, well, hey. And, I, and you probably know. You, now you're like, you know, I'm going to be afraid to call me. No, keep calling me. That's my job. That's my job. That's my calling in life is to help people focus on Jesus. So I'm here to do it. Call me anytime. But that's really the answer for 99% of our struggles is that time taking it to Jesus and praying and asking God's help with what we're going through. And, and, and same with me. When I'm freaking out, that's what people do. They remind me, you know, take it to Jesus. We, we help each other. We encourage each other to, you know, to keep doing that. And we see this positive effect that this attack had. What did it do? It, who they turned to, G, to Joshua. It made them dependent. And that's what the attacks do. It, it creates dependence in us. Many of us become Christians. We, we, we are saved, salvation, because of what, some struggle in our life that God allows in our life to show us our need for him. And we would never come to him without this crushing struggle that breaks the will and turns us to Jesus. And even after we become a Christian, the sanctification pro- process, the attacks, what do the attacks do? The attacks that we ex- experience, those trials in our life, they teach us to come to Jesus. And they teach us to depend on his mercy and grace. And that's how we grow spiritually. That's how our faith grows. Look at the crisis, tri- trials you've been through. You could probably map out your spiritual growth by struggles and trials, right? 
that you could, we could map it out. We look back at our life. That's, what, that's how, what God uses. Now the second P is verse 7, where they say, um, So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. And I'm going to call this promptness. There's a prayer, but now we have the promptness. The promptness. God responds. Notice this. He said, come save us quickly. Joshua responds. God responds. But remember, God may not be on our time, but he's always on time. Linnell. (laughs) I remember our phone call not too long ago. And Linnell and I were going back and forth on some struggle, right? And and we were laughing so hard because I kept, I must have said it to you 18 times on the phone. God's, God may not be on our time, but he's always on time. And remember you said, ooh, I'm going to write that one down. <laughs> we, were, we were talking on the phone. And it's true. He may not be on our time, but he's always on time. Jesus may not save us instantly. Well, he may. Jesus may. I'm not, not talking about salvation, but he may re- pull us out of a trial instantly. He might do that. Remember Peter and the waves? Peter's sinking down. Jesus didn't say, well, let's wait a little while. No. He grabbed his hand, pulled him up out of the water. He knows when it has to be done immediately. But... Uh, he, sometimes he keeps us waiting. Remember the, the apostles in the boat in the storm? Where was Jesus? <sighs> Sleeping? Not really. He's probably faking it. But anyway, I can't prove that in the Greek, but I, I have a feeling that, that's what happened. Uh, he, he, was, he kept them waiting. And then he finally freaked out. And they finally, when they're all exhausted, they can't do it anymore on themselves. And then he finally turned to Jesus and tried to wake him up. He keeps us waiting, but he still rescued them, right? He... Jesus is never late. Never. When his purpose is fulfilled, his purpose for our trials fulfilled, he moves quickly and he moves powerfully. Quickly and powerfully. But the Bible is full of examples how God is promptly late. (laughs) Promptly late. It's all over the Bible. From a human experience, from a human perspective, he's, he's late. But from him, he's prompt. Exodus. How long were they slaves in Egypt? 400 years. Slaves in Egypt. 400 years. Help us. Moses finally shows up. The deliverer has come. He shows up. Everything's going to be great. He shows up. And God says, uh-uh, you're not ready, Moses. 40 more years. Hmm. But we all know what the outcome was. In the Old Testament, the last Old Testament book is written, the last prophet speaks, and then we had the silent years. How many silent years? 400 years. 400 silent years. And, and then and during that time, the Romans take over the world, then their oppression, they made slaves out of, out, of the, out of Israel. And then this little baby is born. Angels singing. He's here. The world's going to be different. And what happened? Nothing for 33 more years. God waited till he grew up and, and anointed him fully for what he was going to call him to do. 33 more years. Lazarus is sick. Lazarus, he's sick. Come, Jesus, quick. Help us, Mary Martha. Help us. He's going to die. And what does Jesus do? Nothing. He lets him die. Then he waits four more days. And then he goes and, and shows up. Why four more days? Because they, the Jewish superstition at the time where was the spirit hung around the body for three days. And after three days, it 
went off to where it was ever it was going to go. And so Jesus waited four days till they, there was no chance they could say the spirit was still hanging around. And then he went and he, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. This man, John chapter 9, the man born blind. You know the story, the man born blind? His whole life. He's an adult. He's been blind. Horrible thing. Horrible anytime, but especially at this time. Waited all those years, and then Jesus shows up to heal him. And why did Jesus wait till then? And why did he heal him then? He said it was for God's glory. God's glory. God is always promptly late. <laughs> but there's a danger while we're waiting. And the danger is we get mad. We get impatient, we get bitter, we give up, we complain. We add a lot to that list, right? And when we do that, we miss out on the blessing. We miss out on the blessing of what God was trying to do in our life. And not only that, we miss out on the intimacy that was supposed to be deepened through what we went through. What was supposed to drive us closer to Jesus was supposed to bring us in a closer relationship was a deep in our love and our faith. We miss out on that deepening relationship. That's what happens. What gives us the hope to hang on? What keeps us praying? What keeps us believing that God will deliver us in this life or the next life? Where he's going to deliver us? What keeps us going? Verse 8, the last P. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hands. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. He says, do not be afraid. And this really reminded me of the well, back in Joshua 1, 8, 9, uh, verse 9, where he says, remember this? Not too, quite a while ago now. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Connect the dots. He gave them a promise. The third P, the promise. Don't be afraid. The promise, it's connected to Joshua 1.9. And all throughout the book of Joshua and all throughout the Bible, do not be afraid and, and the promises that go with that. Sometimes we need reminding of this, don't we, though? Like every day. <laughs> Each new crisis. It's crazy, isn't it? Every time there's a new crisis, ah, you know, we freak out. And what, what about the other 99 times God came through, right? But we still freak out. We need reminding of this. That, that no matter what we're facing, God's got this. That God will deliver us here, there, or in the air. Right? Wherever he's got a plan, here, there, or in the air, he's going to deliver us. But in the meantime, we have these promises. We have his promises. So many promises to hang on to. If we're struggling, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If we're tempted, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able. If we're dying, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. If we just had spiritual failure, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We have all these promises that we're supposed to be clinging to and hanging on to and letting drive our life. In fact, I don't know if you get uh, Dr. Jeremiah's uh, turning point. I've sent it out many times, different devotionals. But he had a great one that really reminded me of what I was talking about this week. He says, one habit to make you happier. He, he starts out talking about the Wall Street Journal ran an article entitled, One Habit to Make You Happier Today. And this is what the writer said. Repeating a positive phrase or mantra to yourself creates new pathways between neurons in your brain. 
conditioning you to feel calmer and healthier. Research shows that thinking of a word or phrase that affirms our values and repeating it over and over produces powerful physiological changes. Mantras can create and strengthen new neural pathways that are positive, not toxic, and that can make our brain much calmer and happier. Hmm. Then he goes on to say, for some odd reason, the writer neglected to mention the power of quoting Bible verses to oneself. It's not a positive sentence, just a positive sentence, but a promise from God. If they can do that with a positive statement, what can we do with God's promise and the Holy Spirit empowering that promise? What can we do with the brain, right? Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Then he ends by, with, a, with a statement. He says, the Bible contains all the information needed for life's challenges. Its words provide strategies for every situation we face. They are life-changing and life-giving. God's promises are never failing, and his truths are infallibly reliable. The power of, of the promises. We, we all, when we come to Christ, we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We say, God, I forgive my sin. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to him. The moment you do that, we're, we're, we become a Christian. But we come with a lot of damage. We're like those POWs that they didn't want to be rescued, right? So damaged. We, we come with, we need healing spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. We, we all need that. And it's lifelong. But as we, we replace, now this is the key here. I'm going to connect the dots here. As we replace the stinking thinking, we replace that stinking thinking, that old thinking, with God's word and promises, the brain changes. The brain changes. We have peace we learn to live free. We learn to have to experience God's joy in our life. We we it's it, we, an incredible healing can take place. I, I have some in, in my life that I say all the time: the blood of Jesus Christ, the shield of faith. Mercy and grace. Well, those are just little statements. But they're read out of the Bible, and they're embedded in the middle of a promise. I don't even need to claim the promise anymore. I just say those words, and, and I know because I spent hours memorizing and, and making them part of my mind and heart. Days praying through these promises. Years persevering with these promises. And it's amazing the changes in my life. I'm not quite perfect. <laughs> All right, I'm not even close. But you should have seen me before. You should have seen me. It, there's changes over the years. There's these, these transformations. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. The Bible already said this. We didn't need this guy in you know, this Wall Street Journal or wherever he was. We don't need him to tell us. We already know. God, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. No matter what your damage is, 
even if it's drugs, you know, you use drugs and it damages the brain and all these all the brain damage, even drugs, I've seen people transform powerfully by God's word. These 30-day rehabs aren't going to do it. It takes God's word and God's promise and battling spiritually. That's what it takes. But that's why we must know by reading and memorizing the promises. If you need help with a promise, talk to me, talk to a Christian. We'll help you find them. There's old books on promises that we can claim. And we have to know it by reading it and memorizing it. And then we have to claim it by faith in the midst of our battles. And cling to it in the midst of our trials. And if we do that, that's when we see God work in powerful ways in our life and our witness to others. And I just want to close with this story that shows us beautifully clinging to the promise and the difference it can make in our life and other people's lives. On December 7th, 1988, some of you remember this, there was a terrible earthquake that devastated Armenia. Remember that? Horrible. Killed 25,000 people. There was one small town in Armenia that a, a father found out about, you know, found out that the school that is son was in school had collapsed and he was running to the school and the school was completely flattened. Some of you might remember this. It was in the news. Completely flattened. The kids are all dead. Everybody go home. But he, 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 he said no way because he had promised his son. Many times he told his son no matter what, I'll always be there for you when you need me. So he began to dig. Alone, because no one would help him. They said, there's no point, you're wasting your time. Nobody would help him. There's no chance anybody's alive. But the dad said, I made my son a promise. And he kept digging. Eight hours, 12 hours, 24 hours, 36 hours, digging alone. 38th hour, he heaved a big piece of rubble off, and the whole time he's calling, he's, he's, he's yelling, and he heard voices. And he said, Armand! His son's name was Armand. And a child's voice responded, Dad, it's me. Armand. He kept digging and he pulled him out and, and his son said, I told the other kids not to worry. They were just this little pocket. Only like... I think there were 14 kids total that were saved in the school. This little pocket that was preserved somehow. Miracle, obviously. And he said, I told the other kids, don't worry that you would save me. And when you saved me, they would be saved too. Isn't that the picture? Hanging on to the promises. God saves us and others are saved through what we've gone through.
What crisis are you facing today? Will we depend on God through prayer, waiting for his perfect promptness, hanging on to his promises? What in our life do we need to do this with? Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian yet. You can't call on the Father to save you. (laughs) He's not your Father yet. But that can change today. You can put your faith in his son Jesus today. He can become your Father right now. Right this moment. And it's all through faith. It's only faith. You don't have to earn it. You can't earn it. I was talking about that movie, Saving Private Ryan. And if you saw the beginning and the end, this guy, old guy's kneeling at the cross and remembering what someone who died for him. And, and he's kneeling there and, and, and he's like, tell me I've been a good man. Tell me I deserve this, he says to his family. And because the guy who gave his life as he was dying said to him, earn it. I'm saving you, but now you've got to earn it. And he spent his whole life trying to earn what had happened. That's not what God tells us. Jesus already earned it. He died on that cross. And he doesn't say earn it. He says, receive it. Just ask for it. Surrender your life. Let's pray. Have you ever come to the cross and put your faith in Jesus Christ, giving your life to him? If you haven't, you can do it right now. God can be your father right now. It's for the asking. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The word there for believe means to put your faith in, your trust in, your hope in. You can do that now. You can have a new life in Jesus Christ. You can be set free as a prisoner of war. You can be set free to live a whole new life with God as your heavenly Father. It just takes the prayer of faith. God, please forgive me. I don't want the sin anymore. I turn away from it. I don't want the garbage anymore. I want to be free of it. Please forgive me. No matter what you've done, no matter what we have done, it can be forgiven, wiped away by God. Just ask God, please forgive me. I'm putting my faith in your son Jesus.
I'm giving my life to him. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, your life will never be the same. You have the spirit of Jesus Christ living in you now. Wait till you experience what all that means. You have, can call on God as your loving heavenly father anytime. Whatever you're going through. I want to encourage you, if you've prayed that prayer of faith, to tell somebody. Don't let this day finish without telling somebody. Maybe a friend or a family member. Tell me on the way out. Tell the card, text call. Let somebody know. So we can encourage you. For the rest of us as we close in this worship. How is God speaking to us? What do we need to surrender to him through prayer? Trusting his timing. What promise do we need to take hold of and, and battle with? To move forward and to break free. Father, I pray that each one of us would, every person here would know you as their father through your son Jesus. We would know freedom from sin and freedom from fear and, and freedom from judgment and freedom from all the bondages. I pray each one of us would break free. And Lord, I know many of us get discouraged and we, all of us get discouraged and, and many times we want to quit. I pray that your promises would carry us through that we would get all that you're trying to get out of the, 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 the discipline that you've put into our life. And most of all, that it would drive us very close to you. I pray that each one of us would draw so close to you and your mercy and grace through every struggle we face. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.